You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 1. If you don't have one, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 1031. How many of you remember learning how to drive for the first time? Anybody? Um, for some of you, it may not have been as long as others. Um, it feels like a while ago for me, but I, I still remember some of the key principles. Obviously, you're driving on a road, so keep your eyes on the road. It sounds simple, but sometimes it's not so simple as, as it was easy to see when you first start driving. Um, I was taught and I realized that if you keep your eyes on the road, if you, if you tend to focus on something else, if you shift and look at something on the side of the road for too long, you'll find your car starts drifting, and if you're not careful, you might end up in a ditch. Now, thankfully, that never happened to me, but uh, probably has happened to someone, and so you soon, under, soon start to realize that you have to keep your eyes focused on the road in front of you, so that you'll continue going where you're trying to go. Uh, now, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have cars or roads. Obviously, they had more dirt roads, cobblestone, that type of thing. So not to say that the Galatians would be drifting in their cars, but perhaps sometimes they might have found themselves drifting as they're walking down a dirt road and start to walk towards the ditch. Well, we're going to see today... Uh, kind of what happens with that in terms of the gospel. Um, so from this text, what we want to see here is that Paul rebukes the churches of Galatia for turning away from the true gospel. He's writing to them at a time of crisis. The churches in Galatia are in crisis. This is a very serious matter, and he's writing to them to correct them. So what we can see as disciples, what we should know from this text is that we must hold to the truth of the gospel of Christ and guard against false teaching. So just to introduce as we're starting in verse 1, you can see Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, meaning one who is sent. Well, he might have asked who sent him, and some did question that, which is why he writes, an apostle, not from men or by man. He wasn't sent by other Christians. He wasn't even sent by the other 12 apostles. He was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul starts off immediately addressing any concerns about his apostolic authority by saying, I didn't get this authority from man, but from God. Christ met him on the road to Damascus, revealed the gospel to him, and commission him as an apostle to go and take that gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul's writing that, confirming, my apostleship, my authority to teach on these matters is not from man. I didn't get this from learning from even Peter, who was highly regarded as an apostle, but directly from Christ himself. And he also mentions all the brothers who are with me. Other believers are affirming what he's writing to them as well. He writes to the churches of Galatia. 
as we look through this text this morning, I want to point out three truths about Christ and about his gospel. First, our freedom is in Christ. Look down at verse 3, as Paul is still continuing his greeting. He gives a, a greeting similar to what he's given in other letters, in that he says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. But you'll notice he doesn't say anything here about their faithfulness, about their love for each other. He doesn't give thanks for the Galatians and what they're doing. It's very muted compared to Paul's other letters. If you go and look, he's not giving thanks for what's going on. The Galatian churches are in crisis, a crisis of the gospel. So he goes directly into correcting the false teaching that's happening there. He says, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. When he says who gave himself for our sins, he's talking about the substitutionary atonement. Christ gave himself for our sins. He willingly sacrificed himself for our sins that we committed against God. All of us, every human who's ever lived, whoever will live, each of us have committed sins against God. We have disobeyed God's law. God is the ruler of the universe. He's totally sovereign and king over the entire universe. And we have committed an offense against him. Multiple offenses. We are all deserving of his wrath. It is just for him to be wrathful against us because of our rebellion. It is right. He's not cruel. He doesn't hate. But we have broken his law and we are deserving of his judgment. We are deserving of eternal punishment for the sins we have committed against him. But Paul's here, Paul here is saying, uh, in fact, what God has done is provided a way for us to be right with him again. So he says that Christ gave himself for our sins. We were the ones who sinned against God, but in fact, God is the one who provides a way for us to be redeemed. Many other religions have this idea of uh, appeasement to other gods, that if you do the right things, if you worship the right way or, or do such and such, you can appease the wrath of gods or gain favor from them. Well, there is a sense in which God can be appeased, our God, the one true God, but we can't do that ourselves. We are the ones who have sinned against him, but there's nothing we can do to appease him and be delivered from his wrath. So in fact, what he did was provided away himself. He was, gave Christ as the propitiation for our sins. There's no way that we can atone for our own sins. So God sent his son, became a man, still fully God, lived a perfect, sinless life. He obeyed God's law perfectly in a way we never could. And then he suffered and was brutally killed on the cross in our place. We should have been the ones suffering, but we didn't because of Christ. 
And then God raised him to life on the third day, according to the scriptures. Christ's perfect sacrifice was accepted in place of our eternal punishment because there was nothing we could have done to prevent that. Only Christ, who was totally perfect, could atone for our sins. So Christ's death and resurrection freed us from slavery to sin, and Paul writes, delivered us from this present evil age, or rescued us. Now this word, uh, deliver, you see this used in the book of Exodus, when God is bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. Now Paul is writing, we have then been delivered from slavery to sin. We've been delivered from this present evil age. That doesn't mean that we are rescued out of the world, the physical world. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer, that we won't experience pain and loss in this world. We will, we absolutely will. But it does mean that we are freed from slavery to sin. Without Christ, we are slaves to sin. We are under the curse of sin. There is no hope apart from Christ. And so Paul's writing, you have been delivered by Christ's death and resurrection out of slavery, out of uh, the world apart from Christ. We have an eternal salvation because of this. Paul is focused on eternity, not just the present world or present sufferings, but he's focused on what will be, what God will do in eternity. So we have a hope of eternal salvation, not just freedom from our worldly troubles, but we have a hope of eternal salvation and justification because of Christ. But why does Christ die? Why did he give himself? To deliver us from sin, to deliver us from our slavery to it. Notice he then says, according to the will of our God and Father. All of this happened because of God's will. It's what he desired, it's what he planned for all along, even from the very beginning, before Adam and Eve sinned, God planned for this, it was according to his will, that we would be rescued from our sin, that Christ would die in our place, and that he would have the glory. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Paul's focus is on God's glory, not his own, not the glory of man, but of God's glory alone. We see this in Genesis as we've been studying. All things were created for God's glory, only his glory. Everything that he created, including us, was for the purpose of his own glory. We were created to worship him, to glorify him in everything that we do, but we sinned. We are now enslaved to sin, and we are not able to glorify God. But he provided a way. As I said, Christ made a way for us to be freed from sin. And now we have the ability, because of that, to glorify God again. So even, even in the body of Christ, God is redeeming his creation. One day he will redeem all of creation and recreate it. But now we can see a taste of that in the church. That Christ has redeemed what God created and what we corrupted by our sin. Christ has redeemed that. We are now able to worship God rightly. We are able to live according to his law. We are able to glorify him. 
Look briefly at the end of Galatians. Paul, as he's concluding his letter to the Galatians, in verse 14, he writes, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. In Christ, we are made new creatures. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are delivered. We are able to glorify God again because of Christ, only through Christ. And it is through Christ that we get our gospel. Brings us to our next truth about the gospel and about Christ. Our gospel is from Christ. Look at verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul had just been in Galatia not long before that. I'm not sure exactly how long, but evidently not very long. They quickly turned away from what he had told them about the gospel. And he says later in verse 9, a gospel contrary to what you received. They did receive the true gospel that Paul had from Christ, and yet they quickly turned away from it. What seems to have happened is that they heard a different gospel that they liked better. So think about, um, I mentioned earlier about learning to drive. Okay, so now think about you are able to drive. You're pretty good at it. Full-grown adult. You've got plans to go to the gym. Um, not that I understand that, but <laughs> if you're the type to want to go to the gym, it's a good goal to have. You want to be healthy. You want to take care of your body. That's good. So you're driving to the gym, and you have fully intended to make it there, to do some exercising, to try and be healthy. But then, as you're driving down the road, you look to your right, to your left, whatever, you see that sign, glowing red sign in the window, it says, hot now. <laughs> Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And so, before you know it, you've looked too long because you're focused on that, your car ends up jumping the curb and you're stuck there, but you don't care, the car looks okay, so you go inside and then before you get home, you end up with a dozen donuts instead of a workout. <laughs> Taking your focus off of what your goal is, what you know you need to do, and you end up with something unhealthy, something bad for you. Not that donuts are all bad, but <laughs> everything in moderation, right? So this is, in some way, what the Galatians have done, much less serious. But Paul had just been there. He preached the gospel to them. They received it. And then they turned to this other gospel that some visiting teachers brought to them and told them was the gospel. And the Galatians thought, that sounds better, so let's go with that. But it turns out this was not the gospel at all. It wasn't any gospel. It was a distortion of the true gospel. Paul says they are turning away from God and accepting this false gospel. Who called you by the grace of Christ? 
They were saved by grace alone and are turning to a gospel not of grace, but of works. But Paul says there is only one gospel. Is it not that there is another gospel? Whatever you heard is not even the true gospel. It's a distortion of the truth. There's only one. The only gospel is the one revealed by God the Father through Christ the Son, and he gave this gospel to Paul. We'll skip down to verse 11 in in chapter 1. Paul mentions this, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it. But it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he gave him the true gospel, the only gospel that there is. Paul received it directly from Jesus, not from any man. So what was this, what was the false teaching that was happening, the distortion? Um, Like I said, they seem to be visiting teachers or preachers who are proclaiming what they claim is the gospel. But they teach that a Christian must follow the law, uh, the Jewish law, and be circumcised to be a Christian. This is directly in contrast to the gospel that Christ revealed. That we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. There are no works that can save us. Paul goes on to correct this false teaching throughout his letter. But we see at the end, jump back to chapter 6 again, the motivations of these false teachers. In verse 12 of chapter 6, Paul writes, Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. The motivation for them is to avoid persecution, to boast about their flesh and about the other Galatian Christians and and what they're doing. These teachers think that they can come in and teach this false gospel and get the Galatians to follow what they're teaching instead of the true gospel and so boast about their obedience to the law because of that. They don't want to be persecuted by other Jews who would be, um, who were persecuting Christians because they were saying that Christ fulfilled the law, that Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised. And that's because in Christ, we are free from the law. We are free, delivered from slavery to sin. Now, this doesn't mean that we're exempt from following God's law or the Ten Commandments, but it means that we're not justified by that law, by the works of the law. God says that he would write his law on our hearts. We are only able to obey God through Christ and the Holy Spirit working in us. So you might ask, what was the purpose of the law then? It was not meant to save by following it, because all along, you can see if you read the Old Testament, Israel could not follow it. It couldn't keep God's law. We were only saved through Christ. Uh, In Galatians 2, verse 21, Paul writes, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The law was never meant to save. The law condemns, 
because we cannot keep it perfectly. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, addresses this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is not through circumcision or obedience to the law, but through Christ. The purpose of the law was to reveal the sinfulness of mankind and show our need for a Savior. It was impossible for Israel to follow this law. It's impossible for us to follow it. So we cannot be justified by it. Trying to follow the works of the law perfectly, because it's impossible, curses us. It condemns us. Because we reject Christ and try and do things ourselves, we're condemned because we're re rejecting the only thing that really saves us. Only Christ fulfilled this law perfectly, which is why he was a fitting sacrifice. Paul condemns this false teaching. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. No apostle, no angel from God can bring a different gospel. Only Jesus Christ reveals the true gospel, gospel of grace that God has made a way for our salvation this is so serious, so serious a perversion of the true gospel that Paul says, a curse be on him, eternal condemnation be on the person who is proclaiming this false gospel that condemns sinners rather than saves them. The crisis in Galatia wasn't just that they had a not perfect truth, they had such a distortion of the truth that it was undercutting the power of the gospel to save. So Paul says, this is so serious, he repeats it. He says they should be eternally condemned, a curse beyond them because of this. It was such a serious distortion of the gospel. This false teaching, the false gospel, leads people away from God and leads them to eternal hell. Teaching a false gospel leads others to reject Christ, their only hope for salvation, and condemns them to eternal judgment. If you're a disciple of Christ, don't let this scare you from proclaiming the gospel. Don't let this scare you from speaking the truth to other believers, but let it motivate us to know the gospel, the true gospel. So beware false teaching and guard the truth of the gospel. 
As disciples, we must know and maintain the truth of the gospel that we've been given. The apostles were given this gospel directly from Jesus Christ. God has provided his scriptures for us to know the gospel and has been passed down for thousands of years now. Know the gospel, maintain the truth. We need to hear the gospel continually. We need to read it in God's word. We need to hear it preached. We need to hear it preached to each other. We need to preach it to ourselves, preach it to other believers, and of course, preach it to the lost. Know the word of God so we can recognize distortions of the truth. If you don't know what the gospel is, you won't know when you're being tricked by a false gospel. So we should recognize false teaching. This may come in different forms. Uh, may come in the form of someone teaching uh, factions or divisions in the body of Christ that we should follow a certain political affiliation or, or something of this world that we need to be because we are Christians, that that's a, a requirement for Christians and you're not really a good Christian if you don't accept whatever particular affiliation. It might be in the form of a lesser version of the gospel or a distortion of who Jesus is or what he does. Some people might try and claim that the gospel is that Jesus is loving and kind. He loves you. He understands you, what you're going through. He understands your life. That's it. Uh, that's true. He does understand us. He does know us better than anyone does. He suffered when he was on this earth. He understands all of that. But there's so much more, and that ignores the actual part of the gospel that saves. All it says is Jesus was great. You should be like him. But we can't. So that doesn't save anyone. It causes them to reject the true gospel, which says that we can't live like Christ. We can only be saved through him and through repentance and faith in Christ. Don't leave out your sinfulness. When you're proclaiming the gospel, when you're teaching the true gospel, proclaim that we are all sinners. We are unable to be reconciled to God apart from Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. He justified us when we couldn't. You might find a false teaching additional works on top of this gospel of grace. This is the Galatian crisis. Yes, the gospel of Christ, but also you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the Jewish law, and then you'll be justified before God. But as we saw, the law condemns. It does not save us. Only Christ fulfilled the law. So we should reject false teaching when we hear it. As a local church, we guard our teaching. Make sure that it is the truth of the gospel. It is, it is biblical. We preserve correct doctrine so that we're teaching people the truth, the, the saving truth of the gospel. As individuals, we should reject false teaching when we hear it. If you hear something contrary to the gospel, if you're online listening to a podcast or YouTube, be on the lookout. Know the truth and be able to observe when someone is distorting it. And then we should correct false teaching. 
You know, the body of Christ correcting false teaching is vital for discipleship, for our sanctification individually and corporately. But for anyone who strays, who has false doctrine, we should be gentle and graciously correct them with the truth of the gospel. Paul is very firm on the truth here. But he's still loving. He writes this letter showing his love for the Galatians, that he really cares for them. He wants them to know the truth. And he presents the gospel. He corrects their errors and lays out what they should be believing, where it comes from. So be bold and courageous to correct your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't allow them to stray from the gospel. We are covenanted together as a body of believers. That's what it means to be a local church. We are responsible to one another. So this may look like uh, sometimes in our daily lives, you may have circumstances, situations that put pressure on you that, that cause a response. Uh, sometimes we respond in the wrong way. Sometimes we respond in a way that contradicts the gospel that we know that doesn't reflect the gospel. It reveals a wrong belief in our heart. You know, we may speak outwardly that we know the gospel, we know grace and faith, but our response to situations may reveal wrong beliefs in our heart. So when you see this in your brothers and sisters in Christ, proclaim the gospel to them. Point it out. Be loving and kind but point each other to the cross, to the fruits of the Spirit. Remember the Word of God and His promises when you're correcting false teaching. Our last truth about Christ and His gospel is that our service is to Christ and Christ alone. Paul writes in verse 10, for, I am for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We can't seek the approval of men and also serve Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are like a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like, a Jew, like Jews? So this is the apostle Peter who was with Christ, who knew the gospel. So he knew the truth, but he still acted contrary to it in this way. He was still hypocritical because he feared man. If we're not careful, this can happen to us anytime. If we try to please people, we will fail the Lord. Obeying God will not make us a friend to the lost, will not find peace in this world, only through Christ. But obeying God is the only hope for the lost, is the only hope for man. 
Obeying God means proclaiming his gospel. If we try to please people, we'll end up leading them down a path to eternal condemnation. So how, how do we overcome our fear of man? Remember God's promises. God promises to be faithful. He promises to sanctify us and to save us eternally in Christ. He doesn't promise that we won't suffer, that we won't face persecution. He promises to keep us in Christ, to guard us until the end, to save us eternally from destruction. We are called to proclaim the gospel, making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the absolutely most loving thing we can do for the lost. Don't think that we can love the lost by, by distorting the gospel, by giving them some kind of watered-down, feel-good truth about Jesus, because that's not the truth. The gospel is the only hope for humanity. It's the only hope for salvation. We must know it, we must guard it, and proclaim it in our words and our actions to the world. And we do all of this to fill the earth with worshipers. As we're hearing from Genesis, God's called us to worship him, to glorify him. Now we can do that because of Christ. We can go forward with the gospel, fill the earth with worshipers for the glory of God alone, not ourselves, not man, but only God. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are good and righteous beyond our imagination. God, we are sinful and broken people who have rebelled against you. And Lord, we know that we cannot be justified by our own works, but only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ who justified us before you. God, help us to remember that. Help us to guard that truth. Help us to proclaim it to the lost. Lord, would you use your gospel through us that we would go out and proclaim it to our friends, our family, co-workers, strangers. God, would you give us boldness that we would proclaim this gospel that you would save people. Use us for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.